0: at CA. Let's get started.
1: We're halfway through our series on covenant affirmations. I think you know that. We've looked at the first uh, three affirmations, centrality of God's word and the uh, necessity of new birth, as well as uh, the, 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 our commitment to the whole mission of the church. And then we had this great little break last week where we celebrated Kids Sunday, which I've heard a lot of positive reports on. Some of you said... I haven't flown a paper airplane for years. Got to do it in church. <laughs> and just to see the kids and, and see all the action, it was, it was a lot of fun, really encouraging. And now we're launching the second half for the next three weeks. The second half, the last uh, three of our covenant affirmations. Today we're jumping into number four, the church as a fellowship of believers. Uh, let me just pray for us as we, as we continue in. Lord Jesus, thanks for this time we have together to to share together, to worship together, to learn from each other. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us now. Open our ears to receive what you have for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at his heart, this affirmation is actually pretty simple. And I think probably some of you, you know, the other affirmations are like, oh, I get it. But this one kind of is, I don't know, was it, is it weird? The church as a fellowship of believers It's kind of like, well, that's a really Captain Obvious, you know. What else would it be? some of you are thinking. And at its heart, that's what it is. We believe that the church is the one body of Christ. It's comprised of the people who've been born again by the Spirit through Jesus, kind of thinking of our affirmation number two, the necessity of new birth, and also called to be on this mission together with Jesus, which we explored in the third one. And if you read the affirmations booklet uh, and this little section on this, um, you'll, you'll see that there's a lot packed in to this affirmation. There's a lot in there about kind of how we structure ourselves as a church and some of the different aspects. And maybe at your small groups, you'll have a chance to discuss that a bit more, but at its heart, it's trying to answer this question. Who is the church? Or maybe more specifically, who do we think the church is? Who are we? What are we? Uh, How is a person considered a part of the church? And and then why would they not be considered that? And actually, this particular affirmation might ring weird to us because of our history, but it actually comes right out of our particular church history as a covenant family. Um, these mission friends who I've talked about a little bit were coming out of uh, Swedish Lutheranism, and they were immigrants fresh off the boat into both Canada and the U.S., Swedish Lutherans, And they looked around at their fellow Swedish Lutherans and they said in Swedish, which I cannot speak, um, that they needed to figure out how they were going to be the church together. And what they had discerned based on their history and their experience and watching the church around them, they discerned two critical things. In their experience, there were people who were part of the church, members, active, present, yes, they're a good church member, who frankly hadn't experienced any kind of rebirth at all. Not only were they not followers of Jesus, they may not have even believed in Jesus. That was a bit troubling, especially as pietists when they were uh, highly committed to a living faith and, and active faith in Jesus. And they were looking around at what had been their church experience and thought, this is weird. How are these people part of the church? Officially, and some of them even pastors but they don't even subscribe to like basic basic orthodoxy. They don't seem like Christians, and yet they were part of the church. So that was one thing that they had discerned. And the second was also just as critical for them that there were people around them who were not able to be part of their church growing up, let's say, who didn't qualify for membership because they didn't prescribe to certain theological doctrines or, or, or certain practices. And yet... They confessed historic Orthodox Christian faith and demonstrated in their lives uh, a living faith in Christ, a walking in the spirit in submission to the Word. In other words, they looked around and said, "They're bona fide Christians who were barred from fellowship in their particular church, because they didn't maybe check certain denominational boxes. You see the dilemma? What they were identifying is that there were people who were inside who weren't Christians. There are people who are on the outside who were. And these early covenanters, they kind of called that out for the sham that it was. And as they thought to think about how they were going to form a church together, now as immigrants in North America, they took a chance to form something new. And so in 1885, they formed the long-handle Swedish Evangelical Mission Covenant Church. A few names got dropped over the years to simplify it, but this question of who would be part of this new fellowship of churches was a very important question to them. And what would be the criteria for membership? Who would get in? In other words, how high do you make the bar or how low do you make the bar? What do you have to confess? What are we going to consider as essential? And what would we consider secondary? And many other groups at that time were wrestling with the same question. Uh, For many years, I and some others were part of a family of churches, uh, in this case, the Independent Churches of Christ, uh, who were coming out of a different tradition, a different context, and yet they wrestled with the very same questions and actually came out with a very similar answer. It was the desire of these early covenanters to form a fellowship of churches that were actually representative of the actual church of Jesus, a church that included all those who were truly part of the church, but at the same time, didn't include those who weren't. What these covenanters wanted was to acknowledge their local churches, in their local churches, what was true in reality, best they could. To have churches where everyone who was part of it was truly part of the church, and anyone who's part of the church could be part of our church. And that's why one of our founding scriptures, one that... um, we can still hold on to today, is found in Psalm 119.63, and I've shared that with you before, and that is this verse. I'm a companion of all who fear you. I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. This was a grounding verse. When the Evangelical Covenant Church was formed in 1885, this verse was brought up as sort of the rationale For this new fellowship of churches, that as Covenanters, we want to acknowledge that all those who fear God, all those who follow Jesus, these are brothers and sisters in Christ, full stop. And the basis of our fellowship is actually the work of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to read for you a a meaty little section. There's a few meaty little sections in this affirmation booklet, but I want to read for you this little section and uh, just be thinking of it as I do. So Luther, because we uh, do hail to Luther a bit in our in our family of churches. Uh, Luther saw the ideal church as a gathering of those who confess faith in Jesus Christ, commit themselves to each other, and submit to no authority other than Jesus Christ the Lord of the church. The covenant church seeks to realize the value of this ideal. Uh, the roots of this view of the church are found in two basic New Testament emphases. First, the church is a communion or fellowship of believers. Characterized by mutual participation in and sharing of the new life in Christ. Paul calls the Christian community the body of Christ. A community composed of many members, each different and mutually interdependent. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 30. It is when we are in community with each other, when all of God's people are interacting with one another in worship and service, that God's will is most clearly revealed and discerned. That's number one. Number two, the New Testament also teaches That within Christian community there is to be neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Galatians three twenty eight. These three areas—race, class, and gender—are to be of no advantage or disadvantage within the body of Christ. This is a multi ethnic, classless, gender equal vision. We recognize our need for gender diversity or for ethnic diversity for fellowship and mutual ministry across artificially constructed socioeconomic boundaries and for the gifts and leadership of women and men. It is the desire of the covenant church to pursue this biblical vision. Now I know that's a lot packed in there. I get it. I hope you'll discuss this a bit further this week in your small group as there's some discussion questions that will lead you into that, but simply put, What this is saying is we want to be a church in reality and how we function here at our local level as closely aligned to who Jesus has actually made us to be as his people. Which means, practically speaking, and then let me just quote one more little one from this uh, booklet. Membership in the covenant church is by confession of personal faith in Jesus Christ. It is open to all believers. We do not expect... Listen to this line. We do not expect that all believers will agree on every detail of Christian belief. Whew, that's a relief. What is required is that one be born anew, quote, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1, 1.3. But if membership is open to all believers, it is also open only to believers. The doors of the church are wide enough to admit all who believe and narrow enough to exclude those who do not, said our forebearers. Hear that? Wide enough so that all Jesus followers can get in, but narrow enough so that you really do have to be a Jesus follower. Well, what are some of the implications of this affirmation? And then I'll, I'll just tease three out and then throw it out for a, a few minutes of discussion here before we head to communion. First implication is this. What we're saying here is that everyone and anyone who confesses Jesus Christ and follows him is a de facto member of God's family and therefore can, if they choose to to become so, can be a formal member of the Erickson Covenant Church. That's what that very simply means. In other words, we're not the ones who decide who's part of the family of God or not. That's God's business, and he's revealed that in his scripture, which we declare is central to how we understand these things. And so we want to make sure that our local reality is reflective of the actual body of Christ. We don't want to be guilty of making our fellowship out of sync with God's actual family. And we do our best to remain centered in Christ so that our fellowship is centered too. In our anxiety, and and this, if you look at the history of how this has all played out, the anxiety people have, it runs in one of two ways. First, the temptation to narrow the definition of who's in in an attempt to weed out certain people we don't feel comfortable with or happy about or we hate what they think. X, Y, Z. You fill in the blank, it's all there. And so there's a a tendency on one side to continually narrow the definition down. The problem there, of course, is we end up narrowing the definition down so that there are real, genuine, spirit-filled Bible-believing, following Jesus, Christians who... Well, can't get into our little box. The opposite side, of course, in our anxiety, perhaps not to exclude people, is that we want to widen the definition to kind of include anyone who's sort of nice. People we like. People we feel should be included. I mean, come on. Even though they actually don't confess or follow Jesus. And so there's a tension there, right? And it's historically, you can see it all over the place. As a covenant church, we really do want to keep the door, as it were, wide enough for all believers, but narrow enough for only believers. That's the first implication. The second implication I want to point out is that membership, both membership here at the Erikson Covenant Church, but membership in the larger body of Christ is not maturity. Membership does not denote some sort of super-Christian status. I continually hear those of you shocked by the fact that that person is part of your church, our church, the church, because of something they said, something they did, something weird they believe. And part of it, the facts are, membership in the body of Christ is not a statement of sudden maturity. Recognizing that this is a brother or this is a sister in Christ doesn't mean they got it all together, right? Hardly. I mean, I don't. You don't. Rather, what it means is we accept one another as brothers and sisters in Christ based upon our confession in Christ and our sharing in the Holy Spirit, which means acknowledging to each other that as brothers and sisters, we might have a lot of growth ahead of us, a lot of maturity that's needed, a lot of discipleship, and encouragement and challenge, growing in holiness, letting God in to change things around, to shift our minds and hearts, to help us along the way. We're included by the Spirit through the work of Christ. He recreates us in Christ, and we are part of the family of God. And now we have a lifetime together of growing by the Spirit into the image of Christ. This is important to remember that we need each other We need each other's gifts. We need each other's presence. We need each other's correction. Ouch. We need each other's fellowship. In order to actually become the people that God has created us to be, we need each other. And so to become part of the family, this sometimes shocks people. They think, but I was accepted for who I was. That is true. In fact, Jesus made you part of his family exactly as you were. And then he moved in. And then he started to renovate. Don't be shocked. Practically speaking, this means that being a member of the church, formally or just part of the church, doesn't mean that all is in order. Now we pursue the life of Jesus together, seeking to obey him and follow him, bring our lines into li- li- lives into line with him through the work of the Holy Spirit, who's making us holy. And we're doing that together. The third implication I want to point out is is probably because it's something so close to my heart that I don't want there to be a misunderstanding. Affirming, as we do, that the church is a fellowship of believers does not mean that those who don't yet confess Christ aren't fully welcome in our presence, in our church. I want to be really clear about that. If you are unchurched, if you are exploring faith, if you really are not sure about God or Jesus or the Spirit, or any of the things that we commonly look at, I want you to know that we as a church exist to help you explore that, to walk with you, to support you where you are at. We want you to know and feel that you are welcome, that you, in that sense, belong here, to actually find in our community a place of encouragement and exploration and openness Where we're not freaking out because you don't believe or say certain things. Oh, no, no, no. We're good. Come along. Come to my small group. Come on my dream team. Come be part of what's happening around here. Start to sing the song. Start to confess the creed. Start to to explore what the Bible is saying and who Jesus is. And let's talk about it. And so none of what we've said today is to suggest that you have to be a Christian to be part of the life of, for example, the Erickson Covenant Church. No, that's not what that means. Actually, this affirmation is helpful for a person who's seeking, who's trying to figure out what is the church about and, and, and what does it mean, who is Jesus. I think this helps clearly communicate the essence of who we are. We're not perfect saints, so don't expect it. We're imperfect sinners, and yet we confess Jesus Christ, believe in his forgiveness, and are trying to follow him. We're not a social club. We're just a bunch of people who like each other. Frankly, some of us don't like each other, and we're trying to help get the Holy Spirit to help us with that. <clears throat> But we are part of God's family, and he decided who got included. I didn't, and so we're in this together. And I think it's helpful for you, if you're seeking or trying to explore, to know that our life is centered around Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Nothing more, nothing less. And sometimes where we get in trouble as Christians and people who are outside the church is thinking the church is different than that. And as a result, for example, thinking but they go to church. They should be nicer than that. Yeah, they should. And they aren't. Jesus has a lot of work to do in their lives, but they're still part of the church. Sorry about that. They are. I didn't decide. He did, you know. But on the flip side, thinking, (laughs) uh, on the flip side, also not being, uh, beginning to think, well, this is all about just hanging out and having fun. It's like, no, no. Our lives are centered in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Anyone is welcome to come and be part of this Jesus movement and becoming part of God's family. That's people who've decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. But our gatherings, our life together, boy, that's just that's open to anyone. And an invitation is there to become part of God's family. Well, let me throw it out for a couple of questions or discussion. How does this spark your mind or heart? Questions that you might have, and I can try to answer thoughts. I'll, I'll repeat it for the camera um, and those who are gathering with us online. Um, that would be great. And Ashi, if those of you online put it in the chat bar, Olin will read it to me if it comes up as well. So any, any questions or thoughts? God is not slow. He is patient. This is from the affirmations booklet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when we, we, when we run into someone, or dare I say, when we look at ourselves and feel like growth is a little slower than we think it should be, that God is not slow, but he's patient. Yeah. That's a good word. And that's in the booklet somewhere. You're saying, okay, yeah, encouraging. Yeah, God is very, very patient. One of the things that we discover reading through the whole of Scripture, particularly the Old Testament story, is an incredibly patient God yeah, who is long-suffering, does not even begin to describe it. And so to look at each other with grace, hey, and, and, and say, wow, yeah, God is patient. How can I be patient too? Oh, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Other thoughts or questions, comments? Dana. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Dana. For those on camera, and I guess we really should look at a roving mic for this. Hey, um, just the need for hi, Dan- Daniel Highland. The need for humility, especially when we acknowledge that maybe we don't think this person is where they should be or is at the place they we think they should be how how important humility is but also that openness to recognize like not only could it not be me who needs to grow but also like how is god at work in me through this because and now I'm adding to what you've said Dana but like often the the person that we're struggling with or the situation that we're having Um, The Holy Spirit has something he wants to do in us in that exchange, in that engagement. And uh, we often look at maybe each other, maybe family members, maybe others, and think, why won't they, why aren't they? Did they just grow up, you know, or whatever? Play nice. Uh, But somehow, the humility that's required to, you see, even asking the Holy Spirit and I've certainly had conversations with some of you about this and, and with myself about this. How do I continually ask the Holy Spirit to humble me so that I see people not with a, a lens of frustration or, or anger or, um, or even, even just like I just want to push away because that person irritates me or, or uh, whatever, but somehow in humility to see them with the grace that God has given us. Um, you know, in that passage on new creation, talks about we no longer regard Christ from a worldly point of view, but the, the point Paul's making there is that we no longer regard and look at one another from a, quote, worldly point of view. And then his next thing is how we're new creations in Christ. In other words, even if what I'm looking at in your life and in my own life doesn't quite, you know, new creation is exactly the first thing that comes to my mind. Somehow, I'm asking the Holy Spirit, give me the lens to see people around me in my life through your new creation eyes. What a difference that makes in how we pray for people, engage with people, and to do that in a spirit of humility, I think. Is key. Anyone else? Question or comment? Mike. So thank you, Mike. So what, what Mike's highlighting is the fact that sometimes we do have interaction with people, and we think, "I do not agree with this person. I do not think they're right." But if we we'll hold that, there are times when later on we realize, "Oh, they are right, or they were right, or I grew in some in some certain way." Um, our our sixth affirmation in a couple of weeks we'll be exploring that is the, the reality of freedom in Christ that we affirm the reality of freedom in Christ, and it'll actually t- touch on on some of these points very directly that. As a covenant family, we really do try to um, allow for, within the family, um, freedom to actually think and, and, and even live differently. Not, not something contrary to Scripture, like, like um, there's conversation about what that means, but just like we're talking about uh, uh, making sure we keep the, the central things central and the things that are secondary secondary. Which is an ongoing challenge and conversation, but we do that as a family. That's the point—that we do it as a family, and we do that um, under the authority of Scripture, but committed to one another, and 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 we're not constantly wanting to pull the pin on some somebody because, oh, you think that you must not be a Christian or whatever. Uh, barring the, those basic uh, those basic confession to Christ and 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 seeking to follow Him, people can be really wrong. You know that, really wrong. How do we, as brothers and sisters then, walk with each other? Actually be part of the Spirit's work in each other's lives, part of which involves correction. I mean, I hate that, don't you? I hate it. I hate it when someone, quote, now to use the real Bible word, I hate when someone rebukes me. Who likes to be rebuked? Who likes to be corrected or disciplined? Like, nobody. And yet, part of this story is actually saying, like, in my family, in my new creation family, Part of the job that God has given my brothers and sisters is to help me grow. <clears throat> Can we all say that together? Part of the job. Say it. Part of the job God has given my brothers and sisters is to help me grow. And if we think that's going to be easy all the time, like we are Dreaming. And so somehow together, this is why we want to keep the central things. We want to keep coming back to scripture. We want to do this in the spirit of grace. Any final question or thoughts before we head? Amanda. So you heard a rumor. Man heard a rumor from somebody somewhere. Okay, this is a serious rumor that you're wanting me to dispel, obviously. Um, that, talk about a leading question, but I, I, I'm grateful you would raise it. The idea that if you were a member, let's just bring it down to brass tacks. If you were a member of the Eric's Covenant Church, it means you have to give a certain amount of money. Pardon me? Oh, like look at the T4s. No, no. Those are our friends at the Mormon Church. And if you're Mormon today and you're listening, I'm glad you're here. But it is my understanding that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, AKA the Mormons, that, they, they're required to give and they're, we have to show the T4s to do it. Uh, that is not how we do it here. Within the Christian church, there's a variety of ways people explore this. Often we use 10% as a nice round number, kind of biblical. But actually, New Testament giving is about generosity, It's about allowing Jesus to move us in such a way that we're willing to invest, actually, as the Spirit leads us, but invest out of a heart that's being changed through generosity so that we're excited about what God is doing. But to be clear, it's freely given (laughs) and not required. And we, in the Erickson Covenant Church, we keep your giving very private. I'm not privy to it. I don't know what you give. Some of you think I know what you give. I know this because I hear it. And I'm like, I don't know what you give. I don't know if you give or if you don't give. You could have dropped 10 grand in the plate last week. And then, I don't know, maybe you thought I would, I would come up and give you a fist bump. I had no idea. <laughs> now, if you did, I will give you a fist bump if you let, let me know. But then there's, there's those of you who are part of the Action Covenant Church who do not give a dime. Or you chuck 20 bucks in the plate every once in a while but you're not giving any kind of regular. Now, I think that needs some scriptural challenge, but I have no idea. You might not be a giver financially at all. We don't track that. Our very, very tiny circle of people know that because our emphasis here is uh, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are reading your scripture, giving is part of your life. And that might be an area of discipleship for you. And I'd love you to chat with friends. I don't think you should hide it. I think you should talk to some friends about it, figure out how to get giving in order in your life. But it's not required by us. Does that make sense? Expect you to give. That's part of being part of the family of God. But if the, we're not looking at T4s. we We're not. That's what you wanted me to correct, right, Amanda? Thank you for that. Well, <clears throat> there's one place historically where who gets in? has been sharply contested, and it's actually right here at the communion table. In different churches, different traditions, different times in history, they have worked that out in a variety of ways. Many groups historically fought over this. Can you imagine? Fighting. Actually, brothers and sisters in Christ coming to blows and blood. And I'm not being, that's not hyperbole, over whether or not you could share in the body and the blood of Christ. Wow. That's pretty shameful. In a lesser, perhaps dramatic way, many groups or denominations have answered the question saying, well, here's all the points of doctrine you have to believe, particularly about what's happening at the table of the Lord. You've got to subscribe to certain beliefs or you can't come to the table. Sometimes you have to give testimony to your faith in Christ. You have, to, you have to show and prove. That is not the case in the covenant church. As a covenant church, we actually very simply say if you love the Lord Jesus, if you follow him, you're not only welcome at the table, you belong here. And that's not uh, saying that you're perfect, <laughs> it's not saying you've got it all together not saying you didn't mess up this week. It's not saying you don't have a whole bunch of things that need to change and grow. It's not saying anything like that. It's saying, Jesus, I'm yours. And you're welcome to the table.
0: Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericsoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.